Well, thank you for that introduction, Bill. I feel really honored to be here and to share the message with all of you who are here. And I know some of you, but not all of you. So I wanted to provide a little bit of introduction of who I am before we open God's Word. I'm actually a native of Kansas City. I was born and raised here, and I have my parents here with me. You can see them up on the screen. Marilyn and George, they are my biggest cheerleaders. And in that picture, as well as my sister Amelia, she's a teacher in South Korea, so she's not able to be here, but would be. And some of you guys might be wondering if I am a KU K-State or MU fan, and I am none of those. (laughs) I went to Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska to be a student athlete and to study business, and it was there that my faith really deepened. I had grown up in the church, but there I really wrestled through doubts. Some questions were raised. Did Jesus really perform miracles? Is he the only way to God? Those were raised by my classes and my classmates, and I was a part of a church that really helped to walk alongside me as I wrestled, as I sought out answers to those questions. And it was in that same church that I had a mentor who really helped me see that I was finding my identity not in Christ and his works, but in my works in my performance and others' opinions of me. And she pointed me to Ephesians 2 to help me see that it is by faith in Christ that we are saved. And that was so just powerful in my life and has affected me since that time. I was in business and I moved to Kansas City um, back again to do Young Life Staff, a youth ministry, and that is when I got introduced to Christ Community Church. There were several students in the ministry who didn't grow up in the church, so I had the privilege of taking them to Christ Community. That's where I heard about Trinity, and that's where I heard about the Pastoral Fellowship, And so I made my way after serving with Young Life for several years up to Trinity. And here's a picture um, of Adam and I before we ran a half marathon. I actually met Adam at a Christ community lunch my first semester while I was at Trinity. (laughs) And so Christ community has brought me a lot of good things. (laughs) Um, And Adam and I moved here to Kansas City about a year ago for me to do the fellowship, and we got married three months ago in this church. We were actually the first wedding, and that was a privilege, but what has been even more of a privilege has been really getting to know this church and being a part of the launch with Bill and John and many of you. And Adam and I really feel like this is our church family. We have felt love, and we have really come to love um, those of you who we know here. So before we open God's word, let's just turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful that you speak. Lord, we ask that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through your message. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, we thank you for your spirit that illuminates your word. And Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive it this morning. Amen. Well, all around us are warning signs. 
We see them when we drive. We see them right here when we walk. I found this warning sign. Whether or not you can read it, the message is clear. Do not touch. <laughs> you will get electrocuted. We hear warning signs when something is burning in the oven and when we need to put on our seatbelt in our car. And the message today is about warnings. And I don't know about you, sometimes I don't always listen to warnings. We have two choices. We can listen to the warning and pay attention to it, or we can ignore it and face the consequences. And for me, I don't ignore warnings where I don't think I'm going to really have negative consequences. And I have never been in a plane crash. So when I am on a plane, I am not worried at all about getting in a plane crash. I do not listen to the flight attendant as he or she is giving me instructions. In fact, I usually talk to the person next to me. I don't look where the emergency exit signs are. I don't look at the safety brochure or pamphlet. I'm really not concerned because I don't think it's going to happen to me. And like I said, this message is about warnings. And as we have been reading through the Bible, like John talked about, and open here, we see that the history of God's people is in many ways a history of God warning his people. We see that all the way back in Genesis, right? God giving Adam and Eve one warning. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They ignored God's warning. They ate it. God didn't want them to eat from that tree because he knew that that knowledge was not good for them. But they did it anyways. And Adam and Eve and you and I, we face the consequences of their sin. Fast forward in history and we come to Moses and the Ten Commandments that he received and all of the laws after that. And before the Israelites entered in the promised land, they were given a warning. If they disobey God's commands, the consequences would be that they go into exile. The history of Israel has largely been a history of ignoring God's warning. Granted, there are some bright spots. If you've been following along, you read the judge Samuel and the king David, where they did seek after God and sought to follow his ways. But overall, it has been the rise and fall of evil judges and kings. It gets so bad that Israel splits, which Bill talked about in the Open Here video, and you'll be reading this week. It split into the northern kingdom, which was the ten tribes of Israel, and it was called Israel, and it split into the southern kingdom, which was the one tribe, the tribe of Judah, which is where David was from. And you can see that on the diagram here. Both Israel and Judah are drifting away from God's commands. God gives them not just a second chance to turn to him, but many chances. This morning we'll hear God's warning to Israel, Judah, and us. Don't ignore God's warning. If you could turn to 2 Kings 17, there we'll find the story of Israel's fall. And if you want to follow along as I read 2 Kings 17, 
starting in verse 7 and going through verse 13. God's word says, And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations who the Lord had drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places and all their towers, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger, and they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So in this, we see why Israel was warned. They were warned because of their sin and because of God's compassion. Verse 7 says, the people had sinned against God. And we might think that idols, which is what their primary sin was, is golden calves that we read about in the Old Testament. But the reality is, is we have idols today. We can have idols in the form of Money, sex, power, and other things. And here's a definition of idols that I found really helpful from pastor and writer Timothy Keller. He says, An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So Israel was warned because of their sin of idolatry. They were also warned because of God's compassion for them. Verse 13 said, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer. Prophets were God's spokespeople. And God was warning them persistently because he did not want them to go into exile. He didn't want them to face the consequences of their sin. What warnings did Israel receive? God warned Israel and Judah in verse 13, saying, Repent, turn from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent you by my servant and the prophets. What did Israel do with God's warning? They ignored it. Follow along as I read 2 Kings 17, 14 to 18. It says, But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. 
And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divinization and omens and sold for themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. So as you can see, things got really bad. Israel had hardened themselves to God where they could no longer hear God's warning and no longer heed it. They looked at God's warnings and convinced themselves that they could do the very thing God commanded them not to do, to worship idols. And the Bible calls that sin, when we do the opposite of what God tells us to do. And Israel didn't just ignore God once. They made ignoring God rather than submitting to God their pattern. Hardening didn't just happen instantaneously. It was gradual. It happened over years. And this can happen to us. We're not immune to that hardening. We can block out God's voice and ignore it where we can't really respond to him anymore. And one example of that is through addiction. Those who are struggling with addiction know that something isn't good for them, yet despite that knowledge, they go ahead and do it. Ultimately, what happens is the thing warned against we love more than the one who loves us, which is God. So Israel suffered the consequences. Israel fell and was exiled into Assyria. When God's warnings are ignored, God's judgment happens. What does that mean to us? That means that the consequences of whether we listen to God's warning or ignore God's warning has huge consequences in our life. We are to not ignore God's warning. That is what we can learn from Israel and Judah's story. Judah's fall mirrors Israel's fall. Just like Israel was warned by God's word and by his prophets, Judah was warned in the same way. Just like Israel is conquered by another power and is sent to exile, the same happens for Judah. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 36 to learn about Judah's fall. I'm going to begin in verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against the king Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel." All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the houses of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. 
But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his word and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. So we see the same pattern as in Israel, that Judah was warned because of their sin and because of God's compassion. Their sin is talked about in verse 12. The king of Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse 14, we see that all of the people were exceedingly unfaithful to God. God also warned because of his compassion for them. In verse 15, it said, The Lord sent persistently to them his messengers because he had compassion on his people. God warns us because of our sin and because of his compassion for us. What did Judah do with God's warning? They ignored it. Verse 12 says, The king of Judah refused to pay attention to God's word spoken through the prophet of Jeremiah because his heart was hardened towards God. And verse 16 says, The people of Judah mocked God's messengers and despised God's message. Judah, like Israel, had content towards God and God's commandments. What warnings did they receive? They received the warnings in 2 Kings 17 that we heard read from all of the prophets. And they also received the warning of the fall of Israel. They could have learned from Israel's mistake. They could have turned to God in repentance. And we also see that Judah received warnings from the prophet of Jeremiah. And I'm going to read from Jeremiah 25, 5 through 6. This is God's warning to Judah. God says, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and his evil deeds. Dwell upon the land the Lord has given you and your fathers, from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoking me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. God warns us to restore us. God wants us to turn from our sin and to turn towards him. The second lesson we learn from the fall of Israel and Judah is God sends warning for us to repent. Repentance means to turn, to turn away from sin and to turn towards God. And the prerequisite to repentance is realizing what we've done. It's coming to a place where we can accept the wrong that we've done rather than making excuses for it or blaming others. It's when we can say, I did that. And what comes after that is asking for forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I don't always want to apologize. I feel like asking for forgiveness from others puts me in a really vulnerable place where I don't have any sense of control And um, I have to wait for the response. When I ask, will you forgive me? I have to wait to see if they'll forgive me. And the good news is, is that as Christians, we know what God's response will be. When we ask, will you forgive me? We know that his response will be, yes, I will forgive you because you are in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven and your sins have been washed cleaned 
go and sin no more. That is good news. And the good news is that God doesn't just warn us of our sin, he rescues us from it. Turning away from sin is not about trying harder, it's about turning to Christ. God meets us where we are and soften our hearts to respond to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the people of Judah ignored God's warning and didn't repent, there was no remedy. God's warning is no longer enough, so God judges. And we read that in 2 Chronicles 36, 17 to 21. Listen to the God's word. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes. All these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its places with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. We saw in verse 14 that it says, therefore, and that's an important word. Because they didn't heed God's warning and because they didn't repent, they faced the consequences. What happened to Judah is what happened to Israel. They were defeated, their temple was destroyed, and they were sent into exile into Babylon over a period of years. God's judgment was allowing the natural consequences of Israel and Judah's choices to enter their lives. The judgment they experienced was a work of their own hands. They were the ones that caused it. God's judgment can be really mild, a rebuke, don't do that, and it can be really severe, like exiling an entire nation out of their land. But God judged Israel and Judah not to cause them pain, but to restore them. As one commentator put it, in the end, the exile came not because Israel sinned, but because they spurned God's offer of reconciliation. God allows us to experience the natural consequences of our actions to get our attention. And this is kind of similar to a timeout chair. That's something that I got a lot of when I was a kid. It was actually timeout steps at our household. And I was put in that as a result of my parents wanting to get my attention. When I had done something wrong, they put me there to warn me, this is not something you were to do. And oftentimes, they would give me many warnings before they put me in timeout, but eventually, because they loved me, they allowed this judgment, the timeout chair, to take place for me to learn from it. 
And God's judgment in our lives is also intended to get our attention, and it's to form us. As our loving Father, God wants us to turn from sin and toward, towards him. He cares about who we are coming. He cares about what we're thinking, what we're feeling, how we're behaving. He wants us to become more like Christ, more like his son. Because God loves us, he is not indifferent to our sin. And C.S. Lewis, the writer, speaks about this and the problem of pain. He says, if God is love, he is by definition something more than mere kindness. And it appears from all the records that though he has often rebuked us and condemned us, he has never regarded us with content. He has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us in the deepest, most tragic, most inexorable sense. In 2 Chronicles 36, 21 ends with a glimmer of hope, which we'll pick up in the weeks to follow in Jeremiah. Just as Jeremiah, I mean, actually in Nehemiah, <laughs> sorry, we're, that's what we're reading next after this. Um, the, the hope is that Jeremiah the prophet says that Judah will be restored back to Jerusalem. After 70 years, they will be brought back. So not only did he prophesy their judgment, he prophesied their restoration. So the message today was ultimately a message to us to not ignore God's warning. We learned that through Israel's fall and through Judah's fall. So that we don't ignore God's warning, we will consider three warning signs that God gives us. His word, his people, and his spirit. His word. The Old and New Testament warns us what not to do. We can probably all think of those. Do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not sin, do not be anxious. And God's word not only warns us not what to do, it also tells us what to do. We are to know God's word. We are to open it daily. That's why we're doing open here as a church. We're wanting each of us to open God's word daily to read it. That's how we know God's warning. The more we know God's word, the more we can hear his warning in our lives. The second way God warns is through his people. We need people who are willing to tell us the truth. Truth tellers. Sometimes that truth is really hard to hear. We need to be vulnerable and transparent with others so that they know us well enough to be able to speak truth into our lives. And I've had a number of these people that I have been blessed with, and one was a mentor in seminary, and his name was Dennis. And he spoke into my life in a way that caused me to really have to consider the way I was living. He helped me to see that um, me not trusting others because of past hurts and because of wanting to self-protect was ultimately not trusting God. And as I searched through the scriptures, I saw that for me, that was very true. And that meant that I really had to change how I was relating to God and to others. We also need God's people to hold us accountable. We need people who are willing to ask us the hard questions, who are willing to look at our calendars, to look at how we're spending, to ask what TV shows we're watching, to ask what websites we're visiting, and 
These accountability partners can be our parents, they can be our spouse, they can be our friends. And for me, I have to be held accountable by my husband, Adam. I have a hard time taking time of rest, and so he has access to my Google calendar. We look at it weekly, and he asks me questions that I really don't like, like, how many hours have you worked, Claire, this week, and when are you taking time for rest? And sometimes internally, I feel like hissing at him like a cat of someone getting all up in my territory that I do not like. But I know that it is for my good, and it's for the good of our relationship, and it's um, wanting to have margin to really grow in my relationship with the Lord, with him, and with others. The third way that God warns is through his spirit. Our consciences can be convicted by God's spirit. That might sound something like, don't get caught up in that other person's opinion of you. God is, his opinion is what matters most. Live for his applause only. Or it might sound like, don't do that with your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance. God wants you to be intimate with one person only. We need to remember that we must test all warnings with God's word. If we hear a warning from others or we hear it in our conscience and it doesn't align with God's word, then it's not from him. On the screens are going to be some diagnostic questions, and we're actually going to take a few moments of silence for us to really ask the Lord directly Am I hearing from you? How are you speaking in my life? And so we're going to take a few minutes with the first slide where we will ask God, am I open to hear from you? And wait for his response. And then we'll take a few minutes with the next slide where we'll ask, how do I respond to you, God, when you are convicting me of my sin? And then I will conclude our time in prayer and we'll go into communion. So now take some time to reflect upon these questions and hear from the Lord.
thank you that you speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you do so persistently. Lord, we thank you that you offer forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for how you have spoken to us during this time. Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak into our lives through your word, your people, and your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.